The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hello everybody, welcome to One Hour at a Time. My name is John McAndrew. I'm obviously not Mary Woods. I'm your guest host today and uh, we want to thank you all for tuning in and listening. Uh, we have a very special guest today, and I want to tell you a little bit about Lisa Newman. She is the president and founder of Competency Coaching, a life and recovery coaching organization that seeks to help not only addicts, but those who love them. She's the founder of the Art of Sobriety Workshops, which are designed for both the addict and the codependent in the relationship. Lisa's helped hundreds of men and women regain their integrity and evolve into recovered and productive individuals living extraordinary lives. <clears throat> Lisa is also the author of Sober Identity, Tools for Reprogramming the Addictive Mind, which we're going to talk about today. She does a weekly program herself in Panama City, Florida, which includes an on-air coaching for addicts seeking help with the challenges of recovery and their personal evolution. And Lisa, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, and um, your book is very, very interesting to me, and uh, I think my first question to you would be is, how did you get here? <laughs> where, Where is here exactly, on the radio? Well, how did you become what they call a realistic recovery expert. I think I take all the fluff away from it and call it for what it is. And Uh recovery is really a choice. If you want it, you can have it. There are systems in place that show that there are ways to have recovery if you want it. And if you don't want it, that's fine. But I don't buy into the, oh, I have a disease, that's why I keep drinking my disease is the problem mentality. Uh-huh. And you obviously have personal experience um, with this. Can you tell us, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that? I can. I, I came to uh, a 12-step program as a child of an alcoholic, grew up in an alcoholic home, and saw very clearly what I was becoming when I, when I was willing to take a look at it, stop, stop all the hiding behind uh, professing my right to drink, my entitlement to drink alcoholically or to drink at all, because if you had my life and you had all the hardships I had, you'd, you'd have to drink too. This was my M.O. And I saw in myself what I saw in my dad, except I was my dad now. Uh-huh. And I realized that I was going to give give my children that type of parent 
if I didn't do something about what was going on. Mm. And I did try and stop drinking a, a, a couple of times of my own, but I couldn't. You know, I'm an addict. I just couldn't. I needed I needed the help and support from outside resources, and and I I found it. And then I found I found more, and that's what the book is about. It's it's really all the things I did to to not only break free from my addiction and my craving for alcohol, but to start living a, an amazing life. Mm-hmm. And this was in nine, in 2004. Is that correct? Yes, I got sober in 2004. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little more? Um, I read a little bit what I believe is probably one of those powerful experiences um, in recovery. People have all sorts of names for that, but it talks about an alarming drinking incident at a park with, with your daughter. Could you share a little bit of that with us? Yes, I will. My daughter was one years old when when this incident happened, and she, John, she had just learned to walk. You know how they struggle for a long time, and then finally oh. it clicks and they're going? Well, mm-hmm. it clicked, and she was going. And uh, that particular day, uh, I had put some vodka into my soda can. And that sensation that so many of us feel, addicts feel, when we finally, we finally have that moment of being altered, I loved that. I loved that sensation because that meant I didn't have to feel whatever I perceived was going to be coming. And my husband had announced that he was coming to the park with me, and I, I think I was mad at him about that. And we went to the park, and I, I, I could just sense that I was relaxing now with this shot of vodka in me. And going down the slide, my little girl got hurt. Mm. And the short, short version is that I was too scared to take her to the hospital because I was scared that they would smell the alcohol on my breast. And I was so ashamed that I, I, I just brought her home, gave her some ibuprofen, and thought she'll be fine in the morning. Well, she wasn't fine in the morning. Uh, we did go to the doctor that morning, and it was actually a very superficial injury. But what happened the next month, John, was terrifying because I watched my little girl kind of crawl like a crab. And she kept trying to stand up, trying to stand up. And every night I had to drink to drown out knowing what had happened that day at the park. Oh, my goodness. And that happened on February the 7th. I got sober in March of that same year. Wow. And what, what would you call, if you had to give that incident a name, what would you call that, that experience? A gift. A gift. Wow. What a great yeah. answer. It's hard for people to, uh, to understand how uh, an addict like yourself would consider that a gift, you know, um, such a terrible experience. But it changed your life, didn't it? It absolutely did. I I can say with certainty, John, that when I got sober, I really did it for my children. I wanted them to have a mom that was there, present, and it was so clear to me that I wasn't. I mean, don't get me wrong. My children have been hurt when I've been in sobriety. I mean, we've been to the emergency room since mom's been sober. But let me tell you, I never have that feeling like, oh, my gosh, I wasn't paying attention because I was Uh drinking. 
So my kids are hurt, and it's a joyful feeling. I pick them up. I hold them. It's okay. I'm there. That's a gift for a woman that needed a drink to get through life. Your personal your personal journey in recovery um, was it were the first few months uh, difficult for you? Um, yes, very. I think one reason that people love uh, working with me, uh, and the reason that that I love even working with me and calling myself on on my own stuff is that I'm aware that I want to pretend that life should be easy, that sobriety should be easy, that that everything, situation should just be easy, that I should have arrived at this place in my life where I can handle everything and nothing nothing should really be upsetting me. And I, I feel, looking back on my first year, my first year, that that year of sobriety was harder getting sober than the last year of my drinking. The first year working a program, getting help, and getting our honest was harder than the last year of my drinking. But I can tell you the rewards that came once I dug deep enough and got honest enough and started to take a truthful look at what was going on in my mind, my uninvestigated thinking, then my life, for the most part, has been upward. It's Mm -hmm. been you know, there's dips, it's all, all always other things happening, but the difference is now my mind is not altered. Not only am I not altered, but I have new resources in place that can move me in the direction that I say I want to go. I think with the end result in mind now, I don't think about the instant gratification anymore. Uh-huh. These, I, I'm going to assume, but I better ask you, um, the experiences you had in your first year, did they become or did some of them become the basis uh, for your book, Sober Identity? I- I'd like for you to explain that to us a little more. But I, uh, that first year in recovery, boy, lights must have been going on and uh, just experience after experience and things changing in your life. How did How did those things become a part of uh, your inspiration for this book? I believe that so often we say when, when we're in recovery, and even before we get in recovery, we say, this isn't me, that's not how I behave. And what I got very clear on that first year was, this is Lisa, and this is how she behaves. Oh, wow. And I couldn't run from that anymore. I had to own the fact that this was the life I had created. It didn't just show up when I got sober all messed up. It's been messed up all along. I just wasn't paying attention. Now it's in my face like neon signs blinking all night long, and I'm aggravated and irritated about it. Yet at the same time, if I believe the things that I'm learning, if I believe the, the universal truths, that I'm learning, I get to take responsibility for this or not. It's still my choice. Mm-hmm. I can be sober, clean sober, and not be living a quality life. I know many people that are, that are clean, but they have attached onto no new trusted source that can help them actually evolve and grow. For me, the transition source. came 
when I made that shift to, okay, I'm not going to drink anymore, but now what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Am I just going to be miserable every day? What else? There's got to be something better out there for me. Oh, and that awesome. book, the book is about that. This is one hour at a time. We're going to be back uh, with Lisa Newman. Her website is www.competencycoaching.com, and uh, we'll be right back. Thank you. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. There are a number of health and social services available to individuals for low cost or no cost. Now there's a radio program devoted to bringing you the information you need. Tune in to Outreach Today with host Melissa Jenkins-Simon. Our program promotes the benefits and services of CI Incorporated, providing health and social services over a wide spectrum of resources and agencies. We want to help you. Tune in to Outreach Today, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. This is John McAndrew, and I'm your guest host today for Mary. And uh, we've been speaking with Lisa Newman, and uh, she's the president and founder of Competency Coaching, a life and recovery organization. And I gave the website, I think, at the last segment. I want to give it again, though. It's www.competencycoaching.com. And I believe Lisa's email is lisa at competencycoaching.com. And welcome back, Lisa. In the last segment, you mentioned... uh, two words to me, and they popped out pretty strongly, and I think I want to touch on that a little bit. You mentioned um, a trusted source. Can can you tell me uh, what that means to you? I can tell you what it means to me now, but I think the listeners might be more interested in what it meant to me when I was getting newly sober, so I'll start there and try and be quick with it. When I first got sober, I came from a very traditional uh, religious upbringing, and I thought, well, that should, that should have saved me. You know, why, why didn't going to church on Sunday, why didn't that work? And I came to understand that there was a depth to my person that I, I wasn't even aware was in there, and I didn't trust me. And because I didn't trust me, I couldn't trust you. And I can honestly say that when I got sober, I don't think there was a person on the planet that I really trusted. Maybe 
there's probably a, a few that I trusted pretty much as I could trust anybody for not not having any faith or accountability in myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think what the early step is for a listener that is new to sobriety would be to find even a person, an author, a book you like, something that you can invest in that resonates with you and study it. If it's a book, study the author, study their writing, study the philosophy. If it's an institution like a 12-step program, gravitate toward people that you feel you resonate with. I think early we don't know what that means to trust. Mm. And not trusting slows everything down. For me now, a, a trusted source, the, the number one trusted source is for me, a God that I love and understand, that I see evidence of in the universe, physically with my eyes, but also I feel and experience emotionally in my being what that is. And I, I do believe that asking someone new in sobriety to try and grasp a trusted source kind of from an ethereal place to say, well, you can get where Lisa's at, it's taken me every, every day of my life to get where I'm at right now. When we're new, we can start with something very small and very simple. It doesn't have to be the end result on day one. It just has to be something you can hold on to. For many people, a, a trusted source is they're going to go sit and watch the sunrise, and they just believe in the sun rising. That's all they can, that's all they can believe in today. Uh-huh. And there's so many great books out there, so many great help books, self-help books. But finding uh, uh, something that you can read and begin to study, something that is a constant for you, and as you let it resonate and absorb it, you do begin to build trust in self. And as you take action and hold self accountable, you do develop a strong relationship with this entity. But I would say start small. Start small. I think that's really great advice, and I think all people that have witnessed the world of recovery, it's uh, sometimes it's remarkable just to watch one person uh, that's in recovery for two months take the yeah. hand of a brand new person. Um, and I, I think, you know, now that you've explained it to me the way you have, I kind of see this trusted source uh, in a different light, and I, and I really appreciate that. I think that's incredible. And you said that your trusted source at the beginning, you started small, and it's obviously gotten bigger. How do you use your trusted source now? Does that does that lead you to the actions that you talk about and you teach people about uh, in your programs? Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. I, I wanted to add one more thing because I feel that it's so important and it, it fits right in here, John. Okay. Sometimes people say, I don't know what that source would be or that thing would be. And I will say, have you ever felt happy? Have you felt happiness? And, the, and, and you know, 10 out of 10 people will say, well, yes, of course I have. And I will say, if you've felt happiness, then you've felt a trusted source. Because happiness is like air. It's always there if you're willing to see it. 
It's nothing I have to go look for. I don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, my gosh, where am I going to get my oxygen today? I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be enough. I don't know if it's going to be there when I need it. It just happens. And trusted source is the same thing. And I say, if you felt happiness, you felt God. You might not call it God, but if you felt happiness, if you felt love, you have felt God. And I know those words can be hard for people, but I'm kind of trying to dumb it up a little bit. You know, make it easy on yourself to relate to this trusted source before yeah. you give up the idea that there's something out there you can trust. And yeah. now on that note, I forgot your question, John. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Um, you know, but I, as you're talking, I have this vision of jumping off. Uh, when I was a little boy, I was always afraid to jump in the water whether it was at a little lake or a dock, you know, or a cliff and all these, everybody had so much more courage. But whenever my older brother took my hand and I held onto his hand and I closed my eyes, then I felt safe. And I kind of see, you know, what you're talking about as we jump into this recovery with that trusted source. You know, now, but now we have the trusted source. You know, now what do we do? You've written a couple of things. One is observing our behavior Two, understanding recovery is a process. And three, the essentials for recovery. Mm-hmm. Those are three different parts of your program. But um, I think a lot of people in recovery, without a trusted source, it's really hard to look at who we are. I would agree. I, I can't say impossible because, you know, that's a big word, but almost pretty close to it. When When there's nothing that we can trust, then in effect we're saying that we are the source. We are as good as it, it gets. There's nothing more out there to lean on. And the question I, I pose to a client is, is that true? Right. Is that true? Because it's a really easy answer. It's a yes or a no. And, and if someone says yes, then, then I do some inquiry. So did you, did you create all this? This is your creation where we are right now, and then the answer is no, and then we kind of back it up from there. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we deny the possibility that the universe is loving, deny the possibility that there's a source out there, a resource out there that loves us and can help us, we think we're, we're cutting ourselves off from it, but we aren't. We can't, even if we want to, cut ourselves off. From our creator. You know, my kids can say to me, you know, I just don't want you to be my mom anymore. I'm angry at you and you're not my mom anymore. Now, they can think that all they want, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't make it true. It doesn't make it true. Because we want to see that we're disconnected, does that make it true? No. No, it doesn't. So we are all connected on this this planet and and physics, quantum physics, and I go go into this in, in the book. Right. in the essentials for recovery, quantum physics shows us that we're all connected. As a matter of fact, there's no place where I end and you begin. It's that we see with our eyes that is the problem. And recovery, if you want recovery, is not about seeing with your eyes anymore. It's really about shifting your your belief system at a deep level. And I think, you know, when you were sharing about part one, part two, part three, mm-hmm. observing is just the very first stages. Just observe without judgment how you behave and how you function and how you think. And if you can start to document some of that, 
you document your thinking for a week, you'll be shocked at the things you're thinking about yourself and about other people. Oh, mercy. How, well, how do you how how do you document it? What's what are some of the ways? It's probably pretty simple, right? Very simple. There's a couple different techniques, but I have when I work with a client, I would have someone just write down when anything hits them that charges them, either positively or negatively. Uh, that's one technique. Or I have them do what uh, is a good habit to grow into for other reasons. Every hour on the hour, write down what you're thinking. One sentence. Hmm. Every hour on the hour, commit to it, discipline to it, which is good for two reasons. Number one, the discipline of actually, I'm going to do this, I'm going to commit to this, I'm willing. And number two, as we grow into this relationship with a trusted source, we get the opportunity just to have silent dialogue every hour on the hour. I know people sometimes won't call me straight up at 12 or straight up at 1 because they know at those moments I'm having a quiet moment at that time. I've disciplined myself to every hour on the hour to do that. So I think it's very, very simple stuff. I think that we don't take a look at it, that it goes uninvestigated, our negative thinking, our... I think the statistics show, and I can be very wrong, but someone can correct me and I welcome it, that 70% of or 80% of our thinking is redundant and somewhere between 60, somewhere around 60% of it, up to 70% of it is negative. Uh huh. So, so in we wonder why we live in documentation uh, and documenting. You talk in part two about understanding that it's a process and um, understanding the subconscious mind versus the conscious mind. Is right. that the same as the negative mind? Uh, the negative. Uh, I think some people call it. I've heard it called just crazy, stinking thinking. You know. How do right. we differentiate the two? The easiest way for me to explain it is the conscious mind is the mind of choice. It is the mind of free will. It's like I'm going to eat the cookie. I'm not going to eat the cookie. Mm-hmm. The the subconscious mind is it's the thing that keeps us alive. It's important. The two need to coexist. We have to have them both. But the subconscious mind is the mind that holds us in our addiction. It says you can't change. You don't need to change. It's not important to change. It's not that bad. It could be worse. The reason that these two have a struggle is the subconscious mind is like this super-duper powerful computer, mm-hmm. like the size of Los Angeles, and the conscious mind's like a typewriter. <laughs> you know, not very efficient, not very quick, not, not really the speed or magnitude. So if the conscious is going to function healthy, it's got to have a really compelling reason to make these changes. Otherwise, the subconscious mind isn't going to go for it. Oh. And when, when I share about these two minds, I do actually dialogue in my book. I have seven dialogues in the book. And what it really is is the conscious and the subconscious mind talking to one another. They're both sharing and they're both trying to understand what the other one is trying to accomplish. Right. That's a great example. Uh, the big computer and the typewriter. We'll be right back to one hour at a time. Thank you. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. This is John McAndrew again, your guest host. And uh, we're speaking with Lisa Newman today, and she she has a fantastic book called Sober Identity, Tools for Reprogramming the Addictive Mind. We've been talking about Lisa's journey. We've been talking about her book. And I, I want to remind you that you can email Lisa with any questions that you might have uh, if you think you may be... Uh, an addict or alcoholic or someone in your family or any kind of a relationship problem, feel free to email Lisa and ask her. Uh, her email address, again, is lisa at competencycoaching.com. And she, uh, her website and her address there are set up to answer questions. And uh, she has great insight into this uh this person that we need to trust or this uh, trusted source. And we've been talking about that and, and the journey into recovery. And uh, I think we'll pick up after, after the essentials for recovery. And uh, I'm going to ask you about learning competencies for living. Um, and you have written here, and this is out of your book, the understanding and applying the five key competencies to our sobriety. Now, what are those, Lisa? The first competency is uh, that I am determined, Ah. and it comes from a place of free will. And sometimes we only know that we're determined not because we know what we do want, but because we know what we don't want. What's what's not there is driving us to something new. Sometimes we think we have to know exactly what it is we want, but when we're new in recovery, we don't. So... Let it be okay that what you don't want is enough of a reason to change. That's the first competency. The second uh-huh. one is about 
just being straightforward. It's about being honest with yourself as much as is possible. Be truthful with self. It's like you can't fake yourself out. Somehow you think that you can. And the second competency is learning that you're not really faking yourself out. What you're doing is prolonging pain in your life. The third competency is I can be navigated, and this draws into a trusted source. It's like, am I willing to trust something out there to help me create a better life? Because if I'm not willing to trust anything or anybody, then I am stuck with my thinking. Right. So that's the third competency. Uh, The fourth is I can reframe my perspective. And I love this. I love this. This competency is one of my favorites because it it talks a little bit about in the book about what it means to forgive, and I reframe situations number one so that I can look at them differently, just see them differently, but I also reframe so I can experience forgiveness. And forgiveness is not saying like what that person did was okay. It just means that what they did happened and it doesn't need to affect the rest of my life. I don't need to keep thinking about it, obsessing over it, being charged on it. I can let it go. Letting it go isn't saying that it was okay. It just means that I'm letting it go. I acknowledge that you did it, and now I'm letting it go. And the fifth competency is I can evolve. And, and this, this never ends. I don't think any of these competencies for me, I never stop working on any one of them. Wow. There's a whole show right on the competencies. <laughs> we it's haven't really... touched the universal laws yet. There's a third show there, John. Yeah, there it is. But being truthful to yourself, um, I think you covered that already by documentation, by journaling, yes. by writing yes. down um, the conscious and the subconscious stuff, right? And I, I'm really stuck Great. on this beautiful uh, picture of the huge mainframe computer being the addict or the subconscious or the crazy person and this little typewriter trying to chug. It's a lot harder work, is it not, to think Absolutely. positively and to stay out of that addict? Yes. Well, and it's, just, it's a little bit harder anyway, isn't it, with the little computer that we're using? Yeah. And this is why we, we drink day after day. This is why we continue any behavior, really, that you have. This is why you do it day after day, because you've got it programmed at a subconscious level that this is what you need to do to survive. Uh And until you see that you can make a conscious choice and there is a source to help you, you will stay stuck. stuck. It's Water travels down the, the path of least resistance. And when I get sober, I'm trying to carve a new groove in my brain that's never been there. And that takes a lot of a lot of effort on my part. Am I alone? No. But if I think I'm alone, then I'm in trouble. So it's about recognizing that you are not alone, that there are people, there are resources that, that you can turn to and get help. And that's the third competency, isn't it? I mean, you, to trust that you're being navigated by uh, a power greater than yourself or this trusted source, right? Yes, yes. And I believe, John, it manifests 
in many ways. I, I'm a student of A Course in Miracles. For me, that book is a trusted source. I love that book. Uh, for, for me, I'm a, a big fan of Marianne Williamson. I read her literature. That's a trusted source for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a great many resources in the back of my, my book and, and my research uh, that I did for my book, and I've listed the books that I've read. Right. And all of those books were just trusted sources for me. So I think trusted sources can show up in different ways. They can be people. They can be institutions. But they can also be something you can't really see with your eyes. And Sober Identity, the book, is about awakening the things you can't see with your eyes inside of you. Do I know how to dialogue and talk with that thing inside me? Because it sounds like me. My trusted source, from a godlike perspective, sounds just like Lisa. It doesn't sound like, you know, maybe what you think... It should sound like. It sounds like my voice. And learning to identify who's actually speaking yep. inside me. So and we're being navigated. We're doing the journaling. And, and we're being, let's say, I'm becoming competent at some of these things. The fourth competency, reframing, that fascinates me, um, not only from a spiritual perspective but from you know a psychological perspective i think we human beings have been trying to reframe from day one and um, i think we're figuring out now you know my trusted source tells me this is true i think we're figuring <laughs> out how to do this better and better but what are your thoughts and and what do you teach us in your book uh the exercises and uh, the importance of reframing, because this part really fascinates me. I believe when I present the 10 challenges, there are 10 challenges in the book, and they're kind of scattered throughout the the text of the book, and I do have them all at the end, you know, one after another. Mm -hmm. But reframe, that, that, that one word, it's about, it's kind of about everything. It's about observation. It's about consistency. It's about identifying where your blocks are. It's about recognizing gifts. It's about looking at your standards and how you've dropped below them. It's about motivation. It's about uh, your purpose on planet. I mean, there's a lot that goes into a reframe. And I think when you have some tools to actually direct your attention and your, your thoughts toward and you're willing to sit and actually do the work, the cognitive work, the writing, mm-hmm. you get to have a new perspective on you and how you hold the world. Yeah. It, what fascinates me is we've, uh, and about your book, is that you, you're telling the, the addict that you have this psychologist, which is dying to go to work for you, inside you as well, um, is, is reframing a part of that? You mentioned cognitive work, which we do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, can you explain that a little more about how we have that part of us? We have that source in us, don't we, to do this work, the cognitive work? Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, this, I, I can go so many places with it. Absolutely we do. And yeah. I think we've so programmed ourselves that we don't. 
and we've we've programmed ourselves that the world, you know, a lot of our limiting beliefs are the world's not fair. I'm not going to get what's mine. I'm entitled. I mean, we've got a we got a most people could come up with a very long list of ways that the world and the people in it have hurt and disappointed them. Yeah. And what what you learn from reading the book is that once you get that programmed in, you look for that stuff to manifest it in your life. It's not so much that it's just happening. You look for it to happen. You find ways to go out in the world and reinforce that belief so that you can be right. Right. You can stay where you're at. Uh And the reframes like is like saying, you know what, I'm not going to accept that as a standard anymore. There's no way that this is as good as it gets. This cannot be it for me. And if you're at that place, you know, with your drinking, if you are still drinking and you're listening to the show today, you can stop. Today could be the end. It is a choice. And it's that instant and it's that quick of a reframe. It's that instant of a shift internally. Now, will that shift stay that way with no, no other feed coming in? No. So once you're willing to make the the decision to reframe, then you act on it. You act immediately on it. You make the phone call. A show, commercial comes on for a rehab, you make the phone call. Mm-hmm. A book comes on the TV or you're on the Internet, you, you order the book. You get to a 12-step meeting. You act on it immediately. Yeah. This is an opportunity. This is the universe speaking to you. This is the chance to imprint a new impression on your subconscious mind, this inspiration, this moment. And... The only way to do that is to say, I'm going to see this from an angle I've never seen it from before. Right. You know, think of the number three in a, in a three dimension. If you look at the number three from a, from a bird's eye view, it doesn't look much more than maybe a rectangle. But if you look at it from the side view, it looks like a three. So I'm saying stop seeing it as the side view. See it as the rectangle. If you look at it as a diagonal, it might look uh, like a cursive E backwards. There's a lot of ways to see it if I'm willing to see it a new, different way. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite things to say to people is, you'll see it when you believe it. You wow. have to believe it first. You have to believe it is possible for you to live a sober, recovered, happy life, and the opportunities are going to fall in front of you and present themselves to you, and your job is to pay attention. Yeah. And... The reframing, though, takes action, and, and I, you know, that's what I like about, I like books that are simple <laughs> and give one, two, three, four, five, you know, um, and taking action leads us into this evolution, and we'll get into that when we come back with Lisa Newman. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, and we're talking to Lisa Newman uh, about her book, Sober Identity Tools for Reprogramming the Addictive Mind, and this thing is chock full of uh, just incredible things to do, actions to take, uh, ways to think and feel differently, and uh, it is for every uh, addict or alcoholic. I think it's tremendous to use and to read and to have and in, in addition to whatever kind of uh, work you're doing uh, as a supplement to that or to replace it or however you want to approach this. And, and Lisa, I want to give Lisa's email address again. Please uh, contact her with any questions about what you've heard on the show today. Please go get her book, obviously. Uh, her website is www.competencycoaching.com. And then you can email Lisa directly with your questions or comments uh, at lisa at competencycoaching.com. And and where we left off, uh, we were talking about reframing and seeing seeing things differently. And uh, we've gone through some different parts of of Lisa's program. And uh, there's a couple left for our last segment, and these are big ones. Um, you have written here dialogues, learning how to dialogue with self. And then the last one is never give up hope. Um, and I think these are both real important. So uh, maybe you can start with dialogues, Lisa. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I do share in the book uh, early dialogues, the, the way I used to converse with myself prior to getting sober. And I close the book with how I dialogue now. And it is what I call an A-B dialogue, Uh, a lower part of me, lower self, the thing that feels disconnected is actually speaking to a higher part of me, higher self. And I let these two two voices talk to each other until, you know, until they're done or or I'm satisfied that they're done. But that's one, one way to do it. There are several ways to journal. But journaling is so powerful because it gives our mind the opportunity to really express itself. When we're just thinking thoughts, our tendency is, is like on a CD when you're listening to music. It would be just listening to the first song every time. You know, we have a problem. We call one friend, tell them. We call another friend, tell them. We call another friend, tell them. We feel like we've been talking a lot about the problem, but we haven't really gone into any depth about why we're experiencing what we're experiencing so journaling is like listening to the whole CD. You know, you get all the way yeah. through. And journaling gets that first paragraph out of our head and, and can move us into solution if we let it. But a lot of people resist it. A lot of people feel they don't have time for it. Make time for journaling. If, if you're listening and you, you run from journaling, that is just a, a great block you have. Just recognize it as a block. Your subconscious mind not wanting you to let go of your current belief system that is keeping you addicted Sit down, get your pen and paper out, and start writing some truthful stuff. 
write it as if no one is ever going to read it because that's mm-hmm. what it takes. Uh, that is just straight journaling, what I'm suggesting now. Another type uh, of journaling is what we call thesis antithesis, and it's basically making a statement and sticking with that one statement and then and then having the antithesis make a statement against that. So that might look something like, oh, my gosh, I, I could never get sober. And then it, then the comment might be, yes, you can. Then you write, I don't think I can ever get sober. And then the comment would be, well, maybe you could. Then it's back to thesis, I don't think I could ever get sober. Then it might be, maybe it could possibly be possible somewhere that sobriety could be for me, that I could learn this. Back to thesis, I don't think I could ever get sober. It's about going deeper and deeper and deeper every time with a thought until you finally come up with one that's not objectionable. And so all of these techniques are just a way to drive us to a new place so we can look at, look at what's happening differently. And I think so many of us, we, we get a book and we read it, but we don't really apply any of the information to ourselves. We, we want to pass the book along to someone else that needs it, right? Right. But this work is about applying these competencies and tools in the book. It's about applying that information to myself. It means that when I get off the phone, I am the person that I say I am. When I wake up in the morning, I am the person that I say I am. That if you saw me anywhere, if there was a camera on me at any time, I am the person that I say that I am. And it feels so good to walk around and be in my body knowing that I am who I say I am. And we have undervalued that. Um, as it's a really powerful in your book as your dialogues go through. I believe there's seven of them, six or seven yes. of them. And as yes. they go through, uh, dialogue four is day 185, and dialogue seven is day 2472. I, uh, it's something that I've, I've not seen before, and uh, I think it's very powerful for the listeners. Um, hopefully you pick this book up and get an opportunity to see how this dialogue works and how your life changes. And I'm reading some of the things, and um, your last part, you, you never give up hope, and, and, and why hope is the gift if you're not yet sober. Um, can you talk about that and, and, and what's behind those feelings that you have about that comment? Yes. I, I think so often we we quit with anything in life, but but with sobriety because we feel that so far what's been available to us hasn't worked. I don't really know any addicts that have. Uh, if you're an addict and you're in recovery, you've tried more than once to get sober. It doesn't mean you've you've been to institutions. It just means you've tried and you you have not been successful at it. And when we feel that we've utilized a all of the options, we do, we do give up hope. And addiction is on the rise, uh, it just in every category across the board. Uh, the kids are younger and younger, and the stakes get higher and higher at a younger yeah. age. And this is just data we can't walk away from or pretend like it's not happening. It's, it is happening. Mm-hmm. And I would say that if you are one of those people that senses you may have a problem, I would seek help. I would 
inquire and seek help. And don't stop seeking until you've found something that can help you. And if you don't want help and you don't care, that's okay too. It's going to have to be. Because, you know, as addicts, we can't force someone to want something that they don't want. You know, sometimes the lesson for us is we need to let go uh-huh. and see what happens. But if you're feeling like you have tried and you, you just can't hold on and there's nothing else for you, I'm here to tell you that there is something for you. Go out today in your world and look for it. Something, I promise you, is going to show up for you today in your world that's going to help you with recovery. That's a promise. If it doesn't show up, email me. But the universe responds to our honest and true desires. And if you're telling the universe, I want help, I'm asking you for help today. I'm asking you for help now. It will come. This is yeah. how the universe works. It and you've talked not about not family. Work. You've talked about family as well. And I think everyone knows that recovery is not a a sprint or a hundred yard dash. It's a marathon. And and I think more than anything, the families realize that. You talked about addicts and alcoholics coming in younger and younger with different drugs and all sorts of manifestations of, you know, mental health issues. And we talk a lot about that at one hour at a time, the combination of, you know, the mental health, uh, I'm not going to say diseases, um, issues combined with addiction and substance abuse. And can the families get help also? And can they call and email you for questions uh, regarding that side of it? Absolutely. I think the non-addicts like my book more because it gives them so much insight into how we think because we do think very differently and we process differently. And I love working with the codependents, the loved ones. That That is the best because I do see when they start to change and when anybody changes, when one person changes, it does have a ripple effect. Is it going to make all the your dreams come true? I, I don't know. I can't promise that. But I do know that when one person is willing to do something different, it will have an effect on everyone in the family. Yeah. I have seen, I've observed uh, when the family gets better and the family works with the person, they um, uh, they sort of become a trusted source again, don't they? Yes. You know, through recovery. Lisa Newman, it's been incredible talking to you. Again, it's Lisa Newman, Sober Identity, Tools for Reprogramming the Addictive Mind at www.competencycoaching.com, and you can email Lisa at that website, lisa at competencycoaching.com. And very much today for your gift and for your recovery and for sharing all this with us at one hour at a time. Appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.